Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Mm, Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Cat Disgusted, a podcast for veterinary technicians and the people and animals who love them. Each episode, we explore the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson. I'm an RVT working in emergency and critical care. BTSCCC. And this is what happens. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, from Richmond, California's shelter in place. (sighs) You know, I mean, I'm curious, actually, how many new podcasts are going to be born out of everyone sitting in their houses for hours on end. Maybe there'll be some good ones. Who knows? Um, So uh, thanks for for returning to this. You know what I'm not going to talk about? I'm not going to talk about COVID-19. Nope, I don't need to. I don't want to. Uh, you guys hopefully have uh, valid sources for all of that information um, and uh, can pay attention to virus talk there. No, no virus talk here, or at least not of that particular coronavirus. There are other coronaviruses that we may talk about that affect cats and dogs, but we're not going to talk about the one that's affecting humans. So today's story... Uh, two stories actually are some of hope and resilience that I'm hoping myself will bring us some joy in this time of darkness. Uh, and it has to do with my most recent trip to Puerto Rico. So I mentioned uh, before I left uh, that I was doing the Spayathon again with Cornell University's me- medical team and the U.S. Humane Society. Um, I done did it again. Um, Spayathon for PR. It was once again amazing. Um, I was the line anesthetist. So I had the same roles I did last time. I was in charge of uh, monitoring all the animals under gas anesthesia for the surgery tables, which means I basically run in circles for 14 hours a day, uh, making sure that nobody dies. And uh, it's seven surgery tables that are all operating simultaneously. So I just go round and round and chatter with the surgeons and keep everybody alive and happy, including the surgeons. Uh, So there were lots of familiar faces. You know, I, I often describe it as like a very kind of summer camp feeling because it's it's such an intense relationship that you form with all of the doctors and the technicians and the Puerto Rican ground crew for this really short period of time and then you all go back to your real lives and there's I mean there really is a, a re-entry syndrome that happens with that when you go back to your real life that you miss it and so then returning this second time it's so interesting because I felt like you know i I know exactly what to expect, but I also have no idea what to expect because it's in a different part of the island, different people. Uh, but it was just as amazing and fulfilling. And the new faces that I met, you know, they were incredibly talented folks working in shelter medicine from all over the country. Um, these are the real life superheroes that that I have in my everyday. So we did 
1,162 spays and neuters uh, over a period of six days. Uh, this round was for the community of Mayaguez or Mayaguez, as I understand the correct pronunciation to be. It's a big city on the west side of the island, so about three hours from San Juan. Now, about Mayaguez, there is a side story that I have to tell about that city uh, that actually doesn't have to do with veterinary medicine, but is, is, is worth retelling. So there is a, there's a big beverage manufacturer down there. First of all, there's a big brewery. There's a big brewery. They make a beer down there. But in addition to that, they also have a soft drink that's made in this city that's called Malta India. Now, there were cases of this stuff that was all around all around the clinic. And so uh, that's why I felt the need to talk about it, the need to try it, the need to integrate it into my life is because it was everywhere. So uh, here's what it is. It's a brewed drink. It's like beer. It's brewed like beer, but there's no alcohol in it. Uh, it's really, really sweet. They describe it as a taste between, oh, it's fizzy, uh, like a taste that's kind of like a combination between Coca-Cola and beer. Um, I thought it tasted kind of, it tasted kind of like molasses, kind of, but like super, super sweet. Uh, and because there were cases of it everywhere, and it has, you know, it says Mayaguez, Mayaguez, you know, made in, made proudly in Mayaguez on the label, I thought, you know, it's local. They obviously like it. I got to try it, right? So one day uh, I was at the snack table. So there's a little snack table that's set up uh, every day at the clinic. Thank God. Because, you know, I, basically I'm just like on my feet for that entire time. It's really hard to, to get me to get breaks. And so, you know, I often will just kind of drive by, eat a slice of cheese and then keep going as with many of the staff who were there. Um, and I was, it was after the clinic was over. I went to the snack table to get some chips and dip. Um, I saw Gloria standing there. Now, Gloria is one of my favorite ground volunteers from Puerto Rico. She lives there. And she used to be a caterer. So she often is by the snack table. And she kind of will arrange the little, like, packets of crackers and, like, candy bars and, like, little fans that are, like, coordinated by color. Because she likes to – she says, you eat with your eyes first. And so she would, like, kind of make this little display, which I always loved. But I was feeling a little bit brave because I saw there was Malta India that was stacked, stacked these cases by the table. I thought now's the time, right? So I say to Gloria, I was like, hey, you know, I feel like I need to try this Malta India stuff because I see it everywhere. She's like, oh, yes, it's made. It's made here. Yes, of course. You have to try it. Wait, let me get you a cold one. And I was like, oh, sure, that's fine. She's like, oh, no, no, I have to get you a cold one or you will go immediately to the toilet. Oh, like, like diarrhea? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Pick me out a cold one. And so she's digging in the, in the ice bucket, like at the bottom to get the coldest ones. And I'm a little, hmm. So as she grabs what she can find as the coldest one, she tells me that women in Puerto Rico, they drink it to get their period. Uh, oh, so now, okay, so warm one, diarrhea, cold one, Puerto Rican women getting their period. Mm. Now there's some interest that's been, that's, that's being generated here. And obviously, 
I'm sure I'm not being quiet about all these new facts of Malta, India that I'm learning. So Allison, who is one of our mega volunteers, she's amazing. She she was in charge of all the paperwork and the pharmacy and all that stuff. She volunteers with um, the sh- uh, shelter in Ithaca. She wanders over and she's like, oh, you're trying the Malta, India? Yeah, Allison, I am. So would you like to learn these two things? Drink a cold one or you'll get immediate diarrhea. And also you might get your period. Would you like some? <laughs> yes, I would. And this is why Allison is my friend is because she's adventurous like that. So now the two of us are sipping on this Malta, India. And now the uh, director of the Humane Society of the United States of South Dakota, that would be Darcy, she wanders over and she sees what we're doing. And I'm like, hey, Darcy, have you seen the the cases of of this drink that's been around it, like this whole clinic? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. Do you want to try it? I mean, are, are you afraid of it? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, bless her heart, I offered it to her. She took a tiny, tight-lipped sip, which is a big deal because she's picky. Um, The conclusion was, yes, it tastes like cola and beer and molasses, and we believe that it might give you diarrhea. So now I walk over to where the other anesthesia um, technicians are doing the, the drug logs that have to be done at the end of the day every day. It's lots of numbers, lots of names, lots of math to get all the controlled substance logging done properly, which is why I am not allowed to touch them because I screw them up. However, I do feel like it is my duty to share in this experience with, these, with the anesthesia uh, team that's sitting there doing their daily work. So um, as I'm coercing them to try it, which is taking more coercing than it did for Allison or Darcy, um, Delimar walks up to us. Now, a word about the ground team organizer, Delimar. She runs a uh, what's called a sanctuary in Puerto Rico. Um, she's one of my favorite humans period I, I think I can I think I can boldly say she uh with the sanctuary that she runs is called the Santuario de Animales San Francisco de Assis Assis oh god probably bastardizing that name but we'll we'll talk more about that later she has it's a sanctuary that focuses on rescue and rehab and then transport for adoption but so she's there every day. Um, I often see, I see her before I get, she's there before I get there at 5.30 in the morning. And I often see her still working after we leave. So she is a very integral part of this process. Sees me trying to coerce my buddies into trying the Malta India. Wanders over and I'm like, hey, Delamar, um, you know, I just heard, I'm just trying this Malta India for the first time. Gloria said that Puerto Rican women will drink this to um, have, and Delimar says, an abortion. Yes. <laughs> what? Yes, apparently a warm can of Malta India and an aspirin is the abortion formula for Puerto Rican women now. She further explains that in a Catholic country, this is the best option because medical care is not great. Um, The family is going to shame you for being pregnant outside of marriage. And um, this is a home remedy that one can do. Wow. So... There you go. Malta, India. Um, I have yet to see it in the United States. I'm sure it's here somewhere, though. Uh, I did see 
Uh, I did see several people though. Like one of the one of the young like high school volunteers that was with us who would help in the dog recovery area. You know, keeping them warm and happy after they come out of surgery. I saw her wander over and like she popped one open and then stuck another one in her pocket, and it was a warm one. So I'm like, more power to you. Um, right. So there's Malta, India. There you go. Uh, so in this crap time that we are in. I figured that uh, the next story that I wanted to tell about Puerto Rico should be one of uh, hope and solidarity. And so uh, that's that's what I'm going to talk about next. Uh, the par- So the part of the island that we're in not only is the manufacturer of the Puerto Rican abortion beverage, but is also um, the the western part is not affected by the earthquake. So they they are also affected by the power plant damage. So, okay, backing up, there is a power plant that was affected by the earthquake. Um, That was in the southern part of the island, directly south of San Juan. Now, this is close to where we were last year. So I think about that every now and then, that like if the timing had been different where we would have been last year when that earthquake happened, I mean, I don't even know if the Airbnb that we were in is still standing. Like it literally was right where we were last year in May. So that part of the island, the southern part of the island is what was affected by the earthquake. And that's where a major power plant that operates and uh, supplies power to the rest of the island is located. And that was really damaged during the earthquake. So something like 75% of the island's power Uh, is generated there and distributed from there. So all of the island was affected by the earthquake in that way. Uh, And because of that, what that means is that the Western bit where we were experienced periodic blackouts. That was just part of the reality that we lived in while we were there. We got them at, they was at the stadium where we were at. We were at kind of like a big basketball um, volleyball stadium is where the clinic was this last time. There was a couple blackouts we had that we experience there. There was some at the apartment that we were staying in. Two blackouts happened during the setup of the clinic. Now, the stadium had a backup generator. So and we had a plan as to what we were going to do if the power cut out during surgery. Um, We generate, we use these machines that are called oxygen generators. So we're not operating off of oxygen tanks when we're doing gas anesthesia. And the machines that are on that are generating the oxygen, they run off of electricity. So if the power goes out, then that means the oxygen ceases to be generated and these animals are connected directly to that machine. And so it's actually worse than being just on room air because then there's like zero oxygen that's getting to the animal. Now, there is a little bit of a window in there. But we had a backup plan in the case of a power outage for that reason because our oxygen is directly related to that. Now I should I've mentioned Elizabeth Berliner before, or as I as everyone refers to her, Eb. She's the program director, and she is the grand high poobah of this operation, and a god as far as I'm concerned. She very smartly had a backup plan for when the power goes out. They have backup oxygen tanks that live underneath the folding tables, which is where all the anesthesia machines sit on, and that that are kind of like wedged in between these oxygen generators. 
the plan was to disconnect all the animals so that they didn't have a lack of oxygen. Um, they could at least breathe the room air and then to uh, put them on the backup tanks. And there's a pressure change that happens when it goes from the generator to the backup tank. So it's also why they have to be disconnected. We had a dry run of this because the power went out twice during the clinic setup before surgery even started. We knew that it was going to, I mean, I felt like I knew that this was going to be a thing. I knew it was going to happen at least once. Um, we all wore headlamps around our necks that were just there. Um, for intubation, they're really good, actually. So that's another reason to have a headlamp on you. But also because it was like just pending when that power was going to go. Like we, I, I mean, I knew in my heart of hearts that it was going to happen at least once. Now, the clinic goes on for six days. Day five is when we lost power. So I could almost feel it coming. Like day four, there's a curse of day four, which is that something always crazy happens on day four. Um, we didn't lose power on day four. So I was like, hmm, interesting. It's probably going to be tomorrow. Sure enough, um, I would say about four or five of the tables had animals on them when it happened, uh, which means like, you know, surgeries are in progress. Abdomens are open. Uh, now the surgeons, they wear headlamps anyway, because the lighting is like not often great in a volleyball stadium when you're doing soft tissue surgery. So as the, so we're in progress, um, I'd say it was probably around like one or two in the afternoon, I would say. So in the thick of it, like, you know, that's like when it's busy and then boom, lights out and no warning, just like kind of like, I mean, and you could almost hear it because you could hear breakers kind of like, and then kind of like a hiss and a moment of silence because everyone goes, oh, right? Pitch blackness. It's inside. There's no windows that are in that stadium. So it's black. And the only thing you could see were the surgeon's headlamps. Now, it just so happened that um, that EB was standing about a shoulder's width behind me. She was actually helping at the tables at that point, which is not usually where she is. You know, she often floats around recovery. I mean, she's everywhere. Um, but she just happened to be behind me. And the, so it literally, the sequence was boom, lights out, moment of silence. And I hear Evie behind me go, oh, fuck. Then everything happened. Then everybody was putting their headlamps on. Um, you could hear people kind of shuffling around in the dark. I immediately start saying, not like desperately, but very loudly and clearly, disconnect the patients, please disconnect the patients. And I had trained my table assistants because we looked at this emergency plan before we started the day. Um, my, to, to the assistants that I get during the day are the ones who are also connecting patients as they're coming to the tables or disconnecting as, as they come off, they're scrubbing, they're doing paperwork, that kind of thing. I had told them, your only job in this type of emergency is to disconnect the patients. That's all you have to focus on because there may be as many as seven of them and it's going to take a minute to get around. Then just stand there and be ready. We'll tell you what to do. So to their credit, that's exactly what they did. You know, like I started yelling, disconnect the patients, please disconnect the patients. I was putting my headlamp on that I had around my neck waiting this entire time for this. Um, as I'm getting my headlamp on it, like it takes me a minute to turn it on because my hands were shaking as I was like yelling. And then EB and Jody Boyd, her, her right-hand person are diving underneath the table and starting to like, look at the oxygen tanks and look at the pressures there. Now, 
It felt like longer than it really was. Uh, the generator that we had, the backup generator at that stadium, kicked on almost immediately. Um, and we knew that because we were barely having time to turn off the oxygen generators to make sure that there wasn't any like you know power surge or anything. I don't even think that we got them all off before they started beeping that the power was back on. You know what I mean? Like it was like we were turning them off. But I think we didn't get to all of them. And then it was a boop because one of them had turned back on. So then we knew that we had power again. Um, so we turned turned all the oxygen back on. Patients are still disconnected, by the way. So now we have... So just an idea about where we're at in these couple minutes is that the dogs and cats are, are still intubated, but disconnected from the oxygen, disconnected from the anesthetic gas. So there is a limited period of time that we have to deal with this. Now I have um, bottles of anesthetic in my pocket as well. Um, Cause I will often give like top offs of induction agents if animals are super light. So I don't have to like crank the gas and lower their blood pressure. Cause we don't measure that parameter um, in the field medicine world. Often there's, there's that element to it as well is that they have to stay sleepy. Now the surgeons, they have their headlamps on. They did so great. I feel like they did not panic. They just kept working. They just kept doing their thing. Um, after this was all over, they said they felt very well taken care of. I could tell because they didn't phase at all. They just kept doing their thing. What choice did they have, right? They just, they just must work faster. Um, we, so when we got the, so the generators kicked on, you could also tell because there was just a faint glow from over our heads from the halogen, from the halogen lamps. Cause it takes them, it takes them a minute to, to kind of warm up and turn on after they lose power as EB dove underneath the table to deal with the oxygen and I was looking around making sure that my table assistants had disconnected the patients appropriately that the surgeons were still working my headlamp was on I saw like some movement out of the corner of my eye because I mean like my world is just all those tables right so like you know I didn't really think about much more than that during this power outage but as I I looked up and what I saw was that every volunteer, every volunteer that we had as part of the ground crew, they had turned the um, the light on on their phone, and they were all standing there like it was a, like it was a concert almost. They were all standing there pointing the light towards us, like towards the table, so that we could see, and so that we could so that Evie could dive under the table and deal with the oxygen tank so that I could look at the patients. It was just like a sea of just those phone lights just pointed at us and pointed at the dogs in recovery. It was an amazing thing. It was an amazing thing that like everybody without even thinking, that was the first thing that they did. That they all came to us and that they just stood there holding their phones up towards us, giving us light and letting us do our job and letting us keep the clinic going and that all these animals are going to be okay. I don't, I didn't really let it affect me in the time that I was there. I mean, like you have a glimpse of it, right? You have a glimpse of like how amazing that is that all these people just automatically do that. And it's such a, it's such a Puerto Rican way is to like, just kind of keep going. Like, just like, okay, here we go. Here's another disaster. Like, let's just, let's just soldier on, soldier on, let it happen. 
Um, all the dogs in recovery that were still intubated, everyone was shining their lights on them. Uh, people got their flashlights out that they had around their necks because, you know, like not everybody had headlamps. You know, some people just had like a little keychain light, but they were all calm. They were all letting us deal with this emergency as a team. We we reconnected all these patients, they're, they're little machines that measure their oxygen saturation. They never dropped. Like they were always, like you always want to see it between like, you know, 98 and 95. They never dropped because it wasn't long enough for it to be a problem. And uh, we still wore our headlamps as the, all those lights slowly came back on and came back to life. And I think that, you know, the the best moment for me is when EB, the program director, after the lights were about halfway glowing, she just kind of came up behind me and patted my ho- my shoulder and said, "Good job." Um, it was one of the greatest and most terrifying things you can't tell. <laughs> one of the greatest and most terrifying things I've ever been a part of, you know, but this is why, this is why I go, like, this is why I help, like, this is why I do it, is for moments like this, you know, and I feel like that kind of community and that coming togetherness of strength and disaster, I mean, that's, that's how it is in Puerto Rico, I don't know how else they, how else they do it, and I think it's really, it's inspiring, and it makes, it makes you want to go back and be a part of it, and, uh, you know, I'm, this is, this is what I'm trying to remember, as I'm sitting here in the house, you know, staring at the cat, you know, like may, may we just borrow just even just a little bit of strength and community that is that island who has weathered so much. And, uh, and, and thank you. Thank you, Puerto Rico for, you know, showing me what community can do. Right. Well, uh, is, was that nice for you? Was that nice for you to hear me sniffing up my snot directly in the microphone? Uh, so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't created your own podcast to distract yourself with by now, then thanks for listening to this one. Um, if you are inspired by this story and uh, inspired by um, the Puerto Rican people like I am, then I highly recommend if you can find it in your heart to help Delimar. Um, Delimar Sanctuary um, that she runs in Puerto Rico. I'm going to put her link for donations in the in the notes here. Um, what she does is she rescues animals in an in a old rum distillery is what it is. And that's, how, that's where all their cages are at. Um, that's where she runs her entire... Uh, the, the whole operation is run out of these abandoned buildings. It's beautiful in many ways. It's beautiful because of its kind of dilapidated industrialness, um, as you can imagine. But also, it's a beautiful thing that she's doing. It runs... Um, a lot of animals through there for not only um, abandonment when they're healthy, but abandonment when they're sick. And her focus is to rehabilitate them and to love them and to feed them and to show them that humans care. Um, And then to transport them to somewhere where they can be adopted. So she herself doesn't do a lot of adoptions, but she rehabilitates them to get into a place where they can be adopted. Um, It's an amazing organization and I highly recommend uh, donating to it if you can find it in your heart to do so. Uh, So follow the links below for that. Uh, Stay well, everybody. I feel like I should end it slightly differently. 
Well, if it's not an emergency, don't come see me at work. But if it is an emergency, then go see your veterinary technicians. They are considered essential staff. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy. Emergencies only, please. Thank you.